Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the Monument Church Podcast, and we hope you enjoy it. Back in this week, Acts chapter 6, and the message is entitled, Defending Against Division and Distraction. Division and Distraction. So I'm going to read the first seven verses, and uh, I would encourage you, please bring a Bible along, a Bible on your phone or a good old book. Um, But please keep our Bibles open so we can see what we're looking at. Now, in these days, Acts 6.1, now in these days, when the number of disciples, this is in the Jerusalem church, was increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected, or the NIV translation says overlooked, in the daily distribution of food. So you've got the picture, widows were being fed by the church and there was a complaint that some widows were being given less and others were being given more. The 12, the leaders, summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, Then they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Even a many of the priests came obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your uh, willingness and your ability through your word to speak to us and encourage us, comfort us, stir us, challenge us. I pray for every person in this room whatever our need might be, that you would meet it. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, lift our gaze to you. I do pray for that, Lord. I pray that there would be a, a sense of worship as I preach and as we listen, and that we would be drawn into a heavenly perspective of things. In Jesus' name, amen. We had a, a wonderful prophetic word come this morning. Um, it was... Uh, It was a a teacher who showed their class a huge whiteboard. And in the middle of the whiteboard, uh, a black dot. She drew a black dot. And she said to the class, what do you see? And uh, without exception, everyone said, we see a black dot. She said, what about the white space? This huge white space. And the person who brought the word said, We can often be like that, that we can be drawn in and fixate on the problem, the difficulty. Even in worship, we can go from worshiping God, (laughs) the great white space in this analogy, to being sucked into that issue. And so the prophetic encouragement was to look at the Lord, lift up your eyes to the Lord. Sometimes when Ash and I uh, go for walks and we're on a thin path and I'm ahead of her, uh, she sometimes says to me, Head up, because what happens is when I walk, I get thoughtful. And when I get thoughtful, my head goes down. She says, head up, 
look at creation, look at the trees, and it's always good for my soul. And uh, brothers and sisters, that's a prayer for this morning, that we would move from, from the black dot uh, to God, the grandeur of God, would lift up our eyes. And I think this passage is going to help us do that. It's a very interesting passage. I'm going to just unpack it in two sections. Overview, just check we understand what it's about, and then um, some observations and some applications for us. So the context is we're six chapters into the book of Acts, the story of the Jerusalem church so far. And so far, this young church in Frederick, I mean Jerusalem, has been doing great. It's characterized, the first few chapters, by power, the Spirit coming. Amazing phrases like 3,000 were added in one day. Uh, the people in the city fearing in a, godly, in a good godly way what God is doing amongst this community, power and growth. Yet that thus far have been two significant attacks on this church. Uh, the first was in the form of persecution. You'll remember when um, Travis Earls was preaching uh, before Christmas on chapter 4 about prayer. He prefaced that section on prayer about how they lifted their voices to God together with giving some context. They were praying because of physical persecution. The leaders of the church had been thrown in prison twice, beaten once, been miraculously delivered from prison once and released once there was significant physical danger, persecution to this early church. They responded great. They didn't pull out their swords. They pulled out their hands and they prayed. They guarded their unity. They looked to God. They, they came through that challenge well. The second one was corruption and hypocrisy. You remember last year, Eric Santiago preached uh, Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they got into dishonesty, deception, uh, hypocrisy, corruption, and God, God brought his judgment and the church responded well. They feared God. Persecution, corruption, hypocrisy, now we've got attack number three and this one has got two forks to it. Tempting the church to division, and also to distraction, trying to distract them so that they make a thing that is good the thing that is ultimate. Division and distraction. That's what we're looking at here. Now, the cultural makeup of this church uh, is very interesting. Everybody in the Jerusalem church were Jews. But within this broad category of Jew, there were two main groups. So now um, everybody in our church would be American in the sense that we're all from America. But under that, the people with different ethnic, cultural backgrounds and worldviews and outlooks, outlooks and but Jerusalem and, um, and they were then there were Hellenistic Jews was Greek not Hebrew and Aramaic and they were still Jewish but they hailed from beyond Jerusalem from beyond Israel. 
Israel, and they had a different cultural worldview in some ways. Many similarities, yet some differences. Clearly, a commitment to be one in Christ. They were following Jesus. They were a local church together. But within that, there were some cultural differences that are not bad. They were actually good. They were fine. Thus far, this young church in Jerusalem had done well, it seems, in terms of maintaining unity and harmony. But now, a little issue hits that highlights, potentially, could highlight all sorts of differences within these two main groups in the church. And the issue at hand is one of feeding food to widows. If you're familiar at all with Old Testament or New Testament, you'll know that one of the... um, hallmarks of the people of God and one of the responsibilities of local churches is to look after really anyone who's vulnerable. Immigrants, uh, prisoners, orphans, widows and with widows as long as certain things were in place widows were, were, it was just right that churches looked after genuine widows and the situation here is that the majority culture, the majority group of Hebraic Jews were accused of overlooking the other widows. So there were Hebraic widows and there were Grecian or or Hellenistic widows. And this minority, surely a minority culture, they were saying our widows are being overlooked or neglected. That's that's the issue at hand. Now, we're not told what went wrong. I mean, it doesn't seem too hard, does it? Like, give everyone the same. You know, this was a large church, many thousands. But so, I don't know, there could have been a hundred or hundreds. But still, it's like, give everyone the same amount. So, we're not told what went wrong. We could speculate. At worst, there could have been a closet racist in charge of distributing food and he said I I, I don't like these Grecian Jews I don't know if they're even proper Jews and they've got some pretty crazy ways at looking at the nation so you know what we're just going to give the best food to our widows and less or worse food to them we're not told that, I'm speculating. Unlikely. It could have been something a little less sinister. It could have been just insensitive majority culture towards minority culture. It's just like we don't think enough as the majority culture. It could have been that. Most likely, it was just poor administration. I get to that because the solution is improve the administration, which makes us think that the problem was poor administration. But I've just got a little sneaking suspicion that there was a character issue involved as well. Because in the solution, 
they stress that these new administrative ministers of food need to be men full of wisdom, the spirit, and faith. That just makes me think maybe there was a deficit of wisdom, spirit, and faith in the previous administration of, of giving out food to widows. That's all in the realm of speculation. Uh, it, it, Luke, just the plain reading of it was there was administrative issues and we needed better administration and some more godly character. That's what we can say. So that's the context. That's the issue. Uh, that's how they solved it, or, or, or that's the issue. The response was, firstly, they acknowledged the issue. They didn't say, you're imagining it. They didn't get into, well, what about-ism? Well, what about that? You guys, what about that? They just took the issue in front of them and said, dang, you're right. That should not be. And they didn't let it escalate to serious fracture. Their solution was to appoint godly practical administrators. And importantly, they affirmed the primary calling of the church. So they resisted getting so excited about this social issue, this civil issue. They did fix it. My goodness, they fixed it. But they did also say, remember our primary calling as those who lead the church, and that means for the whole church, is prayer and ministry of the word. Those two things are things that only Christ followers can bring to a city like Jerusalem, a city like Frederick, and a nation like America. Yes, we can, and we should. I didn't get that. Could you try again? <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe it. If it's not people, it's my watch saying I'm preaching. We should, as Christ followers, be engaged in ministry to the poor and the vulnerable and being responsible American citizens. Amen? But only we can invoke the power of God through prayer. Only we can bring the perspective of God to ourselves and to our communities and nations. And amidst all the passion to fix this, they said, but remember, our primary calling is to prayer and ministry of the word. This was truly an excellent outcome. As one young church to another young church here in Acts 6, we just got to say, well handled, well done. You dodged division, you stayed unified. Uh, the way it was handled pleased the whole church. It says everyone was nodding their heads. Everyone was pleased. Isn't that a lovely feeling of unity when everyone's going, yes, good. Leaders were multiplied. More people given an opportunity to serve. And don't you love verse 7? Don't you love verse 1 and verse 7? Top and tailing with the number of disciples was increasing. The church was growing, which brings tension. Then verse 2 to verse 6 is how they responded. And then verse 7 says, they, the, the gospel continued to move forward. The word of God continued to advance. The church continued to grow. It was a great outcome. That's section one. Section two is observations and applications. 
A few uh, smaller ones and then one or two um, slightly larger ones. Firstly, it's great to observe and acknowledge the blessing of organization and delegation. People have different gifts in different areas. Each of us have different gifts in different areas. Isn't that fantastic? It seems that we could say there's broad, two broad categories of, of uh, practical ministry and spiritual ministry. We could say that, couldn't we? Practical and spiritual. There does seem to be a difference, but we mustn't press the difference too much. Because when I look at these seven men who were appointed to do the practical ministry, they're spiritual, they've got spiritual muscle, wisdom, spirit, and faith. These are the guys doing practical work. Then there's the more spiritual, overtly spiritual, prayer and ministry or preaching of the word, words, leading in those more obviously spiritual activities. But hold on a second, we mustn't press that distinction too much away from the practical because it was a very real possibility that the 12 elders, apostles who were acting like elders at that time in the church, these ones who were responsible for prayer and ministry of the word, we're, we're told that it was a real possibility that they could have been the ones serving daily portions of food to widows, which tells, because they said, the solution isn't going to be us doing it. Implication being the solution could have been that they would do it. It's even conceivable that some in the congregation said, this is the problem. We would encourage you as the leaders to be the ones who serve the food each day because we trust you. And it'll set a good example. Leaders doing menial tasks. But they led off with saying, hey, we're not the ones to do this. My point here is that they could have been. <laughs> they were obviously open to it. It was a possibility that they could. So we mustn't press the practical versus spiritual distinction too much. Those who are spiritual must have their feet on, the, on real ground and be up for practical and serving roles. And those who are practical need spiritual gifts and wisdom and faith to do it. Why? Because even the practical areas in church life involve people. So we celebrate uh, the difference, differences in gifts and organization and delegation. Also, uh, we acknowledge and celebrate the blessing of people saying yes. So the congregation said, these seven, we think they're going to do a great job. And those seven said, yes, okay. And the apostles said, yeah, we think this, this seven is great bunch, and they were the ones who appointed them, the leaders. The point is, these seven said, yeah, we're up for this responsibility. And a growing church needs uh, several moments where wholesale groups of people step up and say, yeah, we're up for taking on some responsibility. Often, probably their church, a bit like ours, you spend some time checking it out. And then the moment comes where, where you move from being just sort of coming along to being someone who owns it and, and shoulders responsibility. And we see that happening here and that's encouraging for us. Uh, I've got a good friend, Stephen Jack, who um, I served in the same church in Zimbabwe and in South Africa. Uh, he didn't move to America with us, but he did preach in our church a year ago. He's got an outstanding track record of service over 20, 30 years that I've known him. 
And I once interviewed him saying, what's the secret of your longevity and fruitfulness and faithfulness? And he thought and he said, I say yes, unless there's a really good reason to, to say no. And I've known him 20 plus years. Occasionally, he said yes, and then realized three weeks later he's taken on something that's too much for him and stepped out of it. But he's, his, just, his default is to say yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. Reminds me of um, Martina Navratilova, the great woman's tennis player. A journalist said to her, uh, how would you describe your involvement in international tennis? And she said, absolutely classic reply, she said, involvement? I'm not involved, I'm committed to international tennis. She said to the reporter, think ham and eggs, the chickens involved, the pigs committed. <laughs> I think that's what's going on here with these seven. They're going from involvement to commitment. They've now got skin in the game. And it says the responsibility was handed over to them. They really did say, yeah, you can, you can lean on me. You can lean on us. Skin in the game. It uh, often takes, it takes a while to figure out what our spiritual gifts are or how we individually can best serve a church. Square peg, round hole. Uh, what shape peg are you? What is the best hole that you could fill? And what I've noticed over the years and uh, I'm so delighted with this attitude in our church, is that I think we should always all have the heart of a generalist. So a generalist is, hey, I'm up for doing anything that's needed to be done. That's a great, that's a great attitude to have. And early on in a church, the life of a church, we don't often have the luxury of putting square pegs in square holes and round pegs in round holes. Rather, it's help. <laughs> and thank you so much. Those of us who are square pegs, and we're saying there's a round hole and you're a square peg. Do you know the good thing about a square peg and a round hole is it mostly fills it. There's just a few little gaps around the edges. And that's often how we start. It's, hey, I've got the heart of a generalist. I'll do anything. And even if it's not a person for me, I'll do it well enough. But then... You figure out what, what you're, how you're best suited to serve what need. And it moves to square pegs and square holes and round pegs and round holes. If you think of a baby, because we're the body, the body of Christ. If you think of a baby, the baby doesn't know what its body part is for. It thinks toes are excellent for sucking. And excellent. As the baby matures, they realize, now hang on a second, toes are not for sucking. Feet are for walking on. Knees are just for looking knobbly. And my hand's good for that. And my elbow's good for that. It takes a bit of time as it grows to figure that out. And certainly, uh, Monument Frederick, uh, we're at a wonderful stage now of just figuring that out more. We're at a stage of, of needing more help in different areas. And... Thank you so much for your willingness. I couldn't be more grateful. Uh, we'll talk next week and the week after about some 
uh, positions that need to be filled, volunteer positions, helping out once a month, maybe once every two weeks. Uh, we'll be talking more about that, but there'll be a great opportunity uh, there for involvement. Uh, the third thing is, isn't it interesting how even, me even practical menial tasks need the help of the Holy Spirit? They need to be mindful of the Holy Spirit. And when I was preparing this, I just thought, I don't, I'm not sure about that. How hard is it to get meal and take it and put it in front of widow and go back and get another meal and put it in front of the next widow? You don't really need to pray. You don't need faith. You don't need wisdom. You just don't need the Holy Spirit. It's just like, do it. How hard is that? But Dr. Luke, who's writing this, he's at pains to point out, he says twice, mentions the need to be full of the Spirit to do this. Why is that? Well, I've thought of a couple of things. The first thing is that whenever people are involved, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Because in church life, we're never just doing a job. We're never just getting a job done. We're getting a job done with people. And whenever people are involved, man, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to love one another and encourage one another. The second thing I thought about is that these, these men, no doubt they had others helping them, but it wasn't just the case of, widow, here's food. Widow, here's food. Same amount as the other widows. They would have needed the Spirit's help to help these, these widows from different cultural backgrounds be unified. Ima imagine the temptations. Imagine how fundamental, imagine how emotional this whole thing was. Being a widow was vulnerable. Food is a basic necessity of life. If they didn't get the food, they would die. They would get sick at worst and die at best and die at worst. This was an emotionally charged issue. And these leaders needed the help of the Spirit to help those who had the unity of being one in Christ and the unity of being Jews, but still with different views, cultural backgrounds. They needed the help of the Spirit to help these groups move forward together, unified in Christ. The other reason that I think they needed the help of the Spirit is because from what we know of the atmosphere of New Testament church, no way they would have just been putting down, you know, happy meals in front of different widows and then going, sitting at their table, and then bringing dessert out. No, this was family. It was an engagement. And I expect that these seven men needed the help of the Spirit to know which widows particularly needed a conversation and engagement and love that day. You know, when we think of church life and caring for one another, it's good to remember that we're all in pastoral ministry. That's lowercase p. The Bible calls us to care for one another. Colossians says, teach, instruct one another. The Bible calls us to, to, to share and bear one another's burdens. We're all involved in lowercase p pastoral ministry. Some are involved in uppercase p pastoral ministry, but all lowercase p. It's right for a church to have, have a structure especially as churches grow, you need a, a structure of care to help people be cared for. But whether you've got that formal structure of care, such as small groups, or not, it's vital to have this 
spirit-directed, spirit-led network of people being prompted to care for one another. I don't know if I'm explaining this very well. In a church of, say, 100 people, only about 10 need intense care at any one time. And we need to, but lots of people need just general encouragements. But you can't script that and structure that. If you do that, if you structure that too much, it gets a bit weird. But what we need and what I've found over the years is if each of us is saying, Holy Spirit, I'm open, just drop names into my mind. Or on a Sunday, I pray that someone would just catch my eye and I think, yeah, I'd like to encourage, I think I should encourage that person. I found that when lots of us are doing that, there's this amazing spirit-directed matrix of care and encouragement that you can't put down on paper. The Holy Spirit is organizing it. And when that overlays some kind of more structured care system, such as small groups, you get a very rich pastoral care net in the church. So what I try and do is whenever one of you drops into my mind, I assume it's from the Lord, and I either pray for you, and or I fire off a text, say, just, hey, how are you doing, thinking of you, or thanks so much for that, or I just make some kind of contact. Sometimes I phone you up and say, just, how are you doing, or do you want to get together for a coffee? Um, I try and respond in some way. I just assume it's the Holy Spirit dropping that name in me. Now, can I encourage us all to do that? I think if we all do that, it may, it'll increase prayer. It'll increase spirit-led connection with each other. Sometimes it's an email, phone call, text, coffee, meal. I mean, take your pick, but very minimally, you're praying for that person. And I think if we all have that disposition, there'll be a a raising of the tide of pastoral care. Next one is, don't you love the synergy of the leaders in the congregation? The congregation brought the need up. The leaders didn't get defensive. They said, absolutely, well spotted. Then the leaders led in solving it, but they involved the congregation. Um, Some in the congregation, I think, may have expected the leaders to be the ones who served the food. But when the leaders said, no, we actually need to give our energies to this, it doesn't seem that anyone said, criticize the leaders, saying, Are you, do you think more of yourselves than you ought? Are you not servant-hearted enough to serve the widows? No, there was a maturity in the congregation recognizing that to have a healthy church, we need different people playing different roles. But there was a leniency by the leaders a leniency by the congregation, ownership by the congregation. They were engaged. They were with it. They were nodding their heads. This was a, is really a beautiful image of everything we aspire to in terms of uh, congregation and leaders. And I also note that the leaders didn't abdicate on their ultimate responsibility in appointing these people. So that means... Imagine the congregation suggested some people who weren't suitable. Then the leaders, they were the ones who appointed, had the, the last say, if you like. But the leaders didn't lord that authority over the congregation. It seemed such a natural respect for one another's roles. So I note and celebrate that. A couple more, and this one is the only kind of one. The only hint we get of something not being done well in this passage 
is the Greek word gogismos, which is the word used for murmuring. So right at the beginning, when it says a complaint arose, it's the Greek word gogismos, gogismos. And it's a negative word. It's the same word used in the Old Testament when the Israelites gogismosed against Moses. There was murmuring. And even just say, matter the word gogismos into your mask, it'll feel like gogismos. <laughs> it sounds like what it does. Now, Luke doesn't dwell on that, but he does throw in that, this word that's a clear indication that ah, that was the only bit I think they didn't get right. But I'm sympathetic because how do you raise an issue in church life? And I mean a medium to large size issue. If you're raising just some suggestion about something fairly neutral, I mean, that's easy. You just raise it. But how do you raise something that's a bit more especially if you're good-hearted. You know, you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be discouraging unnecessarily. And you think to yourself, is it just me? Maybe it's just me. I don't want to cause trouble. But then if you leave it too long, and you're right that there is a problem, it's not good for the church. You should have spoken up. And if you leave it too long, you'll get stressed. So it's tricky, isn't it? How, how do you do it? And do you do it on the phone? Do you send an email? Here, here's, here's a few thoughts. And again, I'm talking about medium to large size concerns. Um, after the first meeting in Gaithersburg, I had someone say to me, hey, PJ, can we just improve the communication? Not all of us are on Instagram, so please send it out on text, email, Instagram, da-da-da, because we missed, we missed something last week. I said, yep, sure, on it, thanks a lot. It's like there's no emotion in that, no heartbeat raising or anything. Not like that. I'm talking about heavy duty things. Here's a few tips. Firstly, raise it before you get stressed. So don't not raise it, not raise it, not raise it, not raise it. And you're seething and then you blow up. <laughs> That's not good for you. So raise it before you get stressed. Secondly, um, try and raise it in person whenever possible. If you can't raise it in person, uh, do it on the phone. I found that text and email are great for encouraging um, but if you're raising something weighty, it's, it's better for the person receiving if they can look you in the eye. And here you say things like, hey man, da da da. Email, you don't get the hey man, you don't get the like, compassion, you don't get the love in the eyes. Um, also, the person who sending it, if it's just you and your computer, things can escalate. And the church. But when you're actually talking to someone, you realize it's not like this thing, the church. We're talking about people here. So face-to-face -face, uh, whenever possible. Uh, thirdly, be self-aware. Some of us come from cultures that are non-confrontational to the world. You just need to be aware. You need to just be stronger in, in, in uh, confronting. Some of us come from cultures that are overly eager to confront. And it's like just Chill a bit. <laughs> if you come from a non-confront, a, a culture that doesn't like to confront, or maybe temperamentally you don't like to confront, you might be more prone to murmuring. Because like you're too scared to actually raise the issue, but you need to vent somehow. 
And by the way, I haven't got anyone or any situation in mind here at all. We're just preaching the passage. So be aware of your culture. Uh, be aware of your temperament. And also be aware of your spiritual heritage. Some of us have come from um, churches where leaders were not sufficiently respected. And it's like anybody would just throw grenades. And yeah, well, they're not really leaders. They're more like coordinators. And they need to do the will of the people. That would be uh, an extreme view, heritage, spiritual heritage. Some of us have come from the other extreme spiritual heritage where thou shalt not touch the Lord's anointed. And it's like you think, I'm, not, I'm never going to complain about anything ever just in case I'm being disrespectful to God. By, and some leaders even propagate that by treating any concern or criticism at any level as disloyalty. And if we've come from that, we just need to be aware we've come from these extremes because neither of them are right. We love it when people raise concerns or have better ideas on things. It, it's not disloyal. It speaks of ownership and, and loyalty and buy-in and we're thoughtful and engaged. But be self-aware. Um, no murmuring, obviously. But please do feel free to bounce something off someone else. You know, division and murmuring happens if, um, if you, what you were to speak to so-and-so and say, is it just me? Or do you also see that? Oh, yes. And yes. And then you've got a little group. And if, you, if that goes on and on, that's murmuring and division. But that's quite different from you thinking to yourself, I, I just think we, we might have a potential problem in that area, but it might just be me. So then you bounce it off Kim. You say, Kim, what, what do you think about that? Or you bounce it off Jess. So Jess, what do you think about that? You're not murmuring, you're not being divisive, you're just taking one or two people and you're saying, is it me, am I crazy, have you got any thought on that? That's actually an expression of humility. Because <laughs> you're saying, hey, I might have got this, this wrong. So you're so welcome to soundboard, you know, of one or, one or two people. Um, then a couple more. Don't suddenly announce you're leaving the church. That doesn't happen often, but when it does happen, it's very sad. I, I want to be very clear. Sometimes it's right for an individual to move on from a church just because too much water's passed under the bridge. You've tried to fix things, resolve things, and that's the important bit. We need to try. But after trying, months of trying, diligent, just too much water under the bridge. If that's ever the case, we will you on your way with love we will I mean we'll be sad that you're going but we'll completely honor your own individual conscience on something it'll be good for you and good for us if we know that we tried to work that through but didn't quite get there and when we see you in the street you in the shop in the six months time it's hey how are you doing there's not anything awkward at all what we want to avoid is seethe, don't raise an issue, seethe, still don't raise it, seethe, still don't raise it, and then write the email, we feel called on, new season in the Lord. <laughs> that's, not, that's not clever. It's not, it's not, it doesn't honor who we are as a family. Uh, we, we, wanna, we want to talk these things through. That's what a healthy family does. And again, friends, I'm talking about fairly extreme situations. We, this, this doesn't happen every week, doesn't happen every month. In fact, it hardly happens, but we can learn from Acts 6, that there will be moments ahead of us 
when individuals or groups do, do feel very passionately about something, and I trust the Lord will help us uh, remedy it in a similar way here. The final point on you know, how to raise issues is I've got here, number seven, don't stress. Like if, if you want to raise something, please don't get paralyzed thinking, oh, I've got to raise it with the perfect attitude. And did he say I should email or was it face to face? I can't remember. Just please don't stress, we're a family. Please just raise the issue. You're free to raise it, we're free to talk about it. And you might raise it when you're a bit hot under the collar. It's called being emotional. Healthy families have emotional members. And I know if you're feeling passionate about something and you may not have eaten breakfast and something else might have annoyed you and you raise it and you're all a bit, oh, I'm not, I'm not thinking, oh, what a terrible person you are for raising it wrong. You're my brother and my sister. And there'll be days when I raise things with you in not such a great way. So we try and raise it without goggy smos or similar bad attitudes. But hey, please don't feel this is a performance-driven thing. We're family and we talk. I want it to be easy for people to raise concerns or issues. Amen? Amen. We good on that? And then the final observation, prayer and ministry of the word. We're trying to uh, I mean, the leaders were prioritizing it, which was, was meaning if they were prioritizing it, the church would prioritize prayer and ministry of the word. And uh, I'm so looking forward to our prayer and fasting. Uh, we do that a couple of times a year. And our next one is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, starting a week tomorrow. We've actually had to adjust, adjust it a bit. We've decided to do it all by Zoom, just, just to allow uh, in, the, in busy weeks, it's easier to jump on a Zoom, and we think we'll enable more people to be part of it. So it's trade-offs, but we're doing prayer and fasting in Zoom. So please save the date, a week tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 7.30 to 8.30. 7.30 to 8.30 in the evening. We're going to jump on a Zoom together. We, lo- we, we do prayer meetings by Zoom pretty well in our church, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we try and keep a culture of prayer alive on Sundays. So prayer culture, we want to keep doing it on Sundays. It may you know uh, the leadership team in our church for about an hour and a half um, each week. And about half of that time goes to prayer. We're not proud of that, but we just do see those who lead churches need to prioritize prayer. In terms of ministry of the word, I think that's particularly referring to preaching. Like on Sundays, we keep the priority of that. Um, we are very happy to apply and comment on some things in our nation and so on. But the main thrust is trying to take us to Jesus um, through his word. And the result of a church with strong ministry of the word is that individually we'll enjoy lives that are earthed in the word of God. And I want to spend my closing minute or two just doing a shout out for you and the Word of God, and all the benefits. Do you know this book says in Psalm 1 and Joshua 1 that you will be successful if you are in the Word of God? Isn't that wonderful? The Word of God brings us faith. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing. And if you have the Word of, if you have faith, you're going to have peace. You're going you're gonna to believe that This is what God says. We get success, we get faith and peace. 
This book helps you and I overcome the devil. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil? He replied, it is written. Ephesians 6.17 says we do spiritual warfare against the enemy, Satan, through different bits of armor, but also through the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible helps us conquer sin. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. This book helps clean out our motives. Hebrews 4 gives me the promise that this book supernaturally is at work in the thoughts and intentions of my heart. Don't you sometimes have moments of despair about the stuff you can feel and your bad motives? This book helps us with that. It burrows right in between joints and marrow and into our hearts. Uh, Ephesians 5 says we're washed through the word. This book is a wonderful counter armor against sin. And it makes us wise. You, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. I'm, I have more insight than my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. Psalm 119, 97. And I want to recommend to you personal ministry of the word. We, as a church, will try and prioritize ministry of the word and prayer. But I just want to shout out again. Let's love and enjoy the word of God. If you've got out of the habit of the Word of God, reading it daily, my advice to you is keep your Bible open. It's easier with a book than an app. But keep your Bible open on your bedside table. Actually, keep it open. And then morning or evening, I guess it could be lunch hour or whenever you can, but morning or evening, there it is. It's open. And you can just read the next few verses of whatever book you're in. And I ask the, I ask the questions, Lord, what, what can I learn about you? And what can I learn about me through this passage? Just, just a few verses. You don't need to read a whole book, book a day. If you're out of the habit, not even a chapter a day. Just start again with a few verses a day. And uh, you'll taste the honey and it'll be sweet and you'll want to taste some more. Hey, thank you for listening. Monument is a growing church pointing people to Jesus and planting churches in the greater D.C. area. For more sermons or information, please hop on to www.monumentchurchdc.com.